Hey gang, welcome to another episode of Value Added, the real estate podcast. On today's episode, we're chatting with Bernard Reese. Bernard is a Brooklyn, New York-based certified public accountant. He's the founder of Reshore Financial. They focus mostly on the real estate industry and helping real estate professionals and real estate investors mitigate their tax liability. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Welcome to Value Added, the real estate podcast where we speak with the brightest minds in the world of real estate who provide, create, and realize value in an ever-changing market. And now your host, Nick Walters. Yeah, how's everything by you? Um, it's great. I got to confess, I'm, I'm not in the city and I, and I now seldom go to the city. So I'm actually talking to you from Brooklyn. Nice. What neighborhood? Midwood. Midwood. All right. I love Midwood. Beautiful single family homes there. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, just, uh, just on the other side of the park, I've done a little bit of business, uh, in Midwood, um, Prospect Lefferts Gardens. Yeah. Those are great neighborhoods out there. Really enjoy them. You got to come down here again. I, I know it. I know it. Well, uh, anyway, we, uh, uh, we, chatted, we chatted initially uh, probably around the middle of December, had a great first conversation, and um, uh, we're going to talk all things, all things uh, uh, tax as, it's, as, it's, uh, as it relates to the commercial real estate industry. But before we dig in, Bernard, Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your uh, your practice and, and reshore. Yeah, glad to. Uh, I am a CPA, but I like to tell people being a CPA, and I've got a whole list of other stuff. It's not really about that alphabet soup. That alphabet soup is, at the very best, just a, a raw foundation to get you started. Uh, real expertise in any industry, and I'm sure you can second this. Real estate, whether you're an investor, you're an agent, a broker, uh, kind of that initial, be it a licensing exam, whatever that is, uh, if that's where you stop, uh, you haven't gone anywhere. Uh, it's really about diving into your area of expertise. For me, that's the financial side, the tax code, regulations, case law. You know, most people think I'm a masochist, but I really enjoy it. Yeah, when when it comes to when it comes to tax, uh, yeah, there there aren't. I don't know too many masochists when it when as it relates to taxes. Uh, me personally, uh, I think the older that I get and the the real estate that I own and invest in, and and you know, you you, you do you do focus on uh, your tax liability and ways to mitigate your tax liability a lot more than when you were twenty five years old. Um, but um, yeah, so tell us a little bit more about. Uh, your your practice, your CPA by trade, uh, but you do a lot of work in the in the real estate world. Explain uh, how your uh, your expertise uh, serves the the real estate community. So we bring things together. The emphasis is not on filing returns. On the contrary, if somebody wants a return filed, uh, we'll send them elsewhere. Uh, it's on a cons- more on the consulting side, understanding both the real estate tax. Um, the entity structuring. Um, on a high level, obviously, real estate has lots of tax tools available. Uh, when it comes to implementing them in the real world, um, there are always gotchas and there are also always opportunities uh, for even increased savings. Uh, so we t- like to do this in a holistic way 
And then we've got a special focus on retirement plans that are used for real estate investing, either by full-time real estate pros um, or folks that are investing passively. So let's talk about that before we dig into the the new administration uh, that is is uh, uh, we, we may see some changes if not already uh, in the tax code. But uh, th- there's always a lot of chatter with regards to using your retirement accounts to fund real estate investments. Um, let's let's talk about a couple of those vehicles where you specialize in where. Uh, individuals or families are able to utilize their retirement accounts, their retirement, their savings accounts to invest in commercial income producing real estate? Yeah, there are lots of ways to do it. And the key thing everybody's got to understand is these are, these are tax vehicles uh, with lots of tax nuance and no two folks are going to be the same. Uh, so when we work with clients. Uh, we actually spend a lots of time I'm helping determine the optimal structure for each client. Uh, It's not about getting the piece of paper. Uh, So the folks out there, you can go buy a QRP document, a 401k document, uh, an IRA account setup that will give you the ability to invest in real estate. But if you're getting the wrong account type for yourself or not getting the compliance and strategy, that can be very, very, very costly. Uh, So our focus is we've set ourselves up we offer every account structure out there. And the key thing is the compliance and the strategy, not the pieces of paper. Uh, so broadly speaking, there are terminology that's out there that people will encounter are QRP, solo 401k, self-directed IRA, checkbook IRA, IRA LLC, IRA trust. These are some of the terminology uh, that folks will encounter. I'm curious, Nick, do you have any personal, you know, direct or indirect experience with these? I do not. Got it. Okay. This is good. So we can kind of take it from the top down. Uh, so the, the key thing is to understand also how this interacts with your overall tax profile. So there's understanding taxation of retirement accounts and retirement account real estate, but also how does this interact with your overall uh, tax profile? Uh, which is going to be different. Um, and there's a nice segue and a real connection between this discussion um, and Biden tax changes, I'd say. Uh, one of the things that you may hear often is a real estate is tax sheltered. So there may not be any good reason to put retirement, to put real estate into a retirement account because it's already tax sheltered. So the purpose of the retirement accounts is to provide tax sheltering. Um, it's you haven't achieved anything by putting tax sheltered real estate into a tax sheltered vehicle. Does that make sense? That's a question. That's yep. a question that that comes up all the time, and it's a great question. Um, and so, depending on who's asking the question, right? For some folks, it's going to be, "Hey, you're 100 percent right," um, and for other folks, it's going to be, "No, that's not. That's totally off." So, one of the ways to look at it, um, I'm guessing, for tax purposes, you're a real estate professional. Right. Correct. Yep. Which means you get the benefit of passive losses. Uh, however, passive investors, generally speaking, are not getting the benefits of passive losses. Um, I, it's, I'm pretty surprised at how often I speak to people that think, right, I've got all these real estate losses and what they really have are suspended passive. 
passive activity losses. Uh, so maybe we should give a little bit of context for that. So I'm sure you know exactly what that is, uh, but not all the listeners may know. So real estate, just to give real estate kind of 101, real estate is great. You get cash flow, uh, but you may not be showing taxable income and you may even show a taxable loss. Now, can you take those losses and offset your W-2 income, your active income, your commission income, whatever other sources of active income that you have? Um, well, the good news is if that if you're a real estate professional for tax purposes and you meet all the requirements and you materially participate in the real estate investments, you can. If you're not, if you don't meet all those requirements, then you can't. So you don't get any benefit of those losses or certainly immediate benefit of your, from your real estate losses if they're done in your own name. So by doing that in a retirement account, you haven't really given anything up because you wouldn't have used them anyway. Uh, so the first thing is what we try to see is who's asking the question. Are they a real estate professional or not? Uh, even if they are a real estate professional, uh, some folks are under the impression that simply by dint of being a real estate professional for tax purposes, um, a real estate pro does not mean you have a realtor's license. It means you meet a certain tax definition. They can automatically use losses from every single real estate deal that they're in. But that's not the case. You still have to materially participate in that particular opportunity in order to use that loss. So not every real estate professional that's investing passively as an LP in syndications will benefit from those losses anyway. So again, even if you're a real estate pro, you may not be giving up those losses by putting them in a retirement account. Does that make sense? It does. And there's also a uh, certain amount of hours that you have to, to work in the industry. I don't know. Is it annually or monthly, right? Yes, absolutely. So a real estate professional, let's talk about what, what's this all about? How do we get this real estate professional uh, tax concept? Uh, so back in the 80s, Congress realized that people were putting money into certain limited partnerships in order to create losses. They weren't getting into the deals because they were great economically. What made these deals so sweet was the losses that they threw off. And if you were in a high income tax bracket, uh, then that loss, a $100 loss is worth 50 bucks, right? So if you can create, get a deal that doesn't have, as long as it doesn't have negative, you know, real economic loss, um, the real income from the deal for these high earners were the tax losses. So Congress created a set of rules called the passive activity loss limitations. Um, and those say that if you are a passive player, if you have a passive loss, or passive income, those cannot be used. The passive loss cannot be used to offset active income. So if you're a doctor and you put your money as a passive investor in a deal that has a loss, that loss does nothing for you. It cannot offset the income from your medical practice. Uh, now, Congress went a step further and they said beyond the general rule that any limited partner, any passive investor um, is going to have limitations. Any rental income is inherently going to be treated as passive. So even if you participate in, in the deal, rental income is per se irrevocably passive. Um, and then you can imagine that the real estate industry, folks like yourself, came back and said, 
hey, real estate is my business. I'm not a doctor, right, that's treating patients all day. Um, and that's kind of my active silo. And then I've got a separate passive silo where I'm putting money into real estate. Real estate is my active business. And so for folks like myself, so meaning folks like you, Nick, and other full-time real estate, we're getting unfairly penalized by getting your rental income treated as a passive loss that can't offset your broker income, your brokerage commission, because that is all, real estate is what you do. So Congress created this new concept called a real estate professional. And if you meet the requirements to be a real estate pro for tax purposes, that takes rental income, your rental income, and puts it on the same footing as any other type of income, where if you materially participate, it can be treated as active. So there are two phases to getting to, to be benefiting from your real estate losses. Number one, as a person, as a taxpayer, be qualified as a real estate pro by being, then, and then you also have to materially participate in the real estate deal. And then at that point, that loss is an active loss and you can use it to offset other income that you've got uh, from other non-rental sources. So for, for that example, you, uh, this capital that you've invested into a, a vehicle, uh, you have to be part of the general partnership, not the limited partnership? Exactly. As an LP, it's going to be very tough. Um, having an LP mix in there um, creates all sorts of complications. Uh, so not that it's not doable, but it makes it, makes it tricky. So very often there are going to be real estate pros that are not getting real estate losses uh, from their passive, you know, purely passive uh, investments. But beyond this discussion and what ties in nicely to the Biden tax changes that we're discussing, uh, what I try to explain to people is you have to view taxation the same way you view an investment, the same way you look at your investing, uh, your deals, right? So it's always about just like you. So there are two sides of that. Uh, one is um, I find that folks, when you want to decide, should I make a certain tax move? So sometimes there's tax stuff that is totally above board, right? And real estate has plenty of those. Cost segregation, 1031 exchange, uh, right? depreciation. These are totally, you don't have to question those. Those are, those, those are not loopholes. Those are not schemes. Those are not shams. Those are, that's, that's there for you to use. Now, Mr. Biden may take that away, right? But for as long as it's there, right, it's completely above board. Uh, but there are certain, certain things, once you get into the weeds, that fall into gray areas, right? And then the other, another side to that is that there are folks out there on the internet pitching and promoting all sorts of stuff. Um, and people, I find people either fall to one or two extremes. Sometimes they say, hey, this guy, he's been on 100 podcasts or 3,000 podcasts. He sounds cool and he says we can do this and everything is great and legal and we'll save money on our taxes. Do your due diligence, just like you do due diligence on an investment, right? You've got to do your due diligence because, again, what essentially what a tax play is, your ROI is the tax savings. So if you're going to save $100,000 in taxes, that's your ROI. A deal can give you $100,000 of cash flow and a tax play can give you $100,000 of tax savings which is again, that's a hundred grand in your pocket. But what's the, what's the risk? A deal has an element of risk and that's why we do due diligence. A tax play deserves and needs 
the same amount of due diligence uh, because there's all sorts of nonsense out there. It's unbelievable. Um, it seems the more shady it is, the more noise the guy, the promoters make because that's all they, they don't have to, they don't spend their time analyzing tax code. They spend all their time and resources on promotion. Uh, the opposite end of the spectrum is folks that say, hey, this is a little gray and they run for the hills and they got to understand what's the worst case scenario here. All right, you make this tax play, you'll save $100,000. Uh, what's your risk on the tax play? Oh, yeah, this may border on tax fraud. You probably shouldn't do it because worst case scenario, you can be behind bars. But if your worst case scenario is the IRS comes back and says, we disagree, pay us the tax plus some interest, maybe it's a good deal. What's the risk adjusted ROI on the play? Uh, what do you say to that? What are your feelings? I, I, I think it really just comes down to what your risk tolerance is. You know, um, I, I think you have to be in, in one of two boats. Either you're going to, to identify a potential risk and run for the hills or you're going to, you know, what's, what's the saying? I, I'd rather uh, beg for forgiveness rather, rather than ask for permission, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it really comes down to your risk tolerance, right? Yeah, it's, it's definitely risk tolerance. But just like in an investment, right, there's always going to be an element of risk, every investment. But the due diligence process and the deal structuring and negotiation is all about trying to narrow that, right? So your downside, you know what your downside is capped at um, and you know where your upside is and you're a certain band where like, oh, this makes sense, right? And of course, everybody, every investor has a different risk tolerance. Some people will say, hey, I want a more conservative deal and I'll forego some of the upside. Um, and some folks will say, hey, I'm gonna take some more risk on and I'm ready to take a calculated risk to get more upside. Uh, but every investor, every real investor, right, is, is, is having this, has this thought process um, in place. Um, and so the same for taxes. You got to have that same thought process as, all right, where's the downside? Is that a potential downside that I'm comfortable with? I'm considering the potential upside. Uh, what are the odds of this playing out? It's just adapting that investor mentality and applying it to taxes. Right. And so having somebody in your corner, ha having somebody like yourself in your corner um, is going to, to prove you're going to be a big asset in uh, the decision-making process for an investor that may not be fully versed on the tax code, uh, where his or her dollars are, are being invested in, whether you're a limited partner or a general partner, whether you're a real estate professional, if you qualify for that, that designation. Uh, so to have somebody like yourself in your corner to be able to, based on the customer's or the client's risk tolerance, um, it, it's you serve a very, a very valuable role in how those decisions are made. Exactly. And I think you said it really well. Uh, ultimately, just like any investor, right, you own the risk reward, right? If you put your money in a deal and the deal goes south, you own it. The deal goes well, you own it. Um, the syndicator, whoever put the deal together, he doesn't really own those results. You do. Um, and in fact, the syndicator or whoever is putting the deal together, they'll make something regardless, right? They're, they're not walking away empty-handed. Of course, they'll do better if they hit their targets, they get their promotes, their carry, their splits. Uh, but the real one that owns it, and every investor has got to understand that, 
Same with taxes. I think it's more prevalent in the tax world that people think, oh, you pass it on to your CPA or your tax preparer. And that's not the case. The tax preparer or the promoter, if it's a promoter of something questionable, uh, they got their fee, whatever that is. The real risk reward will reside with you. And so you are the ultimate decision maker. And you want to work with a professional that is going to give you all the info that you need so that you can make an informed decision. Um, you don't want somebody that's going to, you know, going to put something in your tax return that creates risk for you that you don't want. It's your risk, but you don't, may not know about it. It's not their risk. It's your risk. Um, or you want somebody putting something in your tax being too conservative, perhaps, right? Because some CPAs will say, hey, I, I collect, I make $2,000 to do this return, whatever it says on the return, right? So why take any risk and why, let's just help let them pay a little more. Uh, right, you want to know where the risk and opportunity lies, and you want to be presented with the options so you can choose. Gotcha. Um, that's all really, really good information. Um, let's let's now transition to uh, a few specific parts of the tax code that um, that may or may not go away with the new administration. Um, there's been talk about the 1031 tax deferred exchange going away. Uh, you know. I've heard that opportunity zones are going to stay for the foreseeable future. Um, based on your point of view from a, a, as a tax professional, um, can, you, uh, can you go through uh, maybe the top one or two or three uh, pieces of the tax code that, uh, that either has been brought up to, uh, to be modified or, uh, or that may be on the docket here in the, um, you know, at least the, the next four years? Yes. Uh, there are lots of moving parts here, um, and there's no knowing exactly how it's going to play out. If any of it will happen, some of it will happen. Uh, so the first, it's almost they've put real estate in the crosshairs, and it's almost explicit that they've put real estate in the crosshairs. So the one that gets the most attention is probably 1031 exchange going away completely uh, or being eliminated for those earning more than $400,000. Uh, that is a biggie. Uh, beyond that, things that have gotten less attention but have been spoken about is overall depreciation. Uh, you know, they're saying, hey, all these real estate investors are creating losses or offsetting income, but their assets are appreciating. They don't like that. Um, so, how will that impact cost segregation, depreciation, real estate professional, right? Because real estate professional, the losses in real estate. Are really created by the depreciation. Right? Losses in other industries are just a sign of bad business, right? It's not, you don't get excited when you have a loss because you lost money. Uh, but in real estate, it's where you have the loss, but you have cash flow. Um, and they want to maybe, they've spoken about eliminating that. So that can, we don't know where that can go. Real estate professional, depreciation, cost segregation, that can go anywhere. Uh, beyond that, there's been talk about raising the capital gains rate, right? Because real estate, even if you don't do a 1031 exchange, what you're generally going to look at is a, is a long-term capital gain taxed at a very attractive rate relative to ordinary income. Uh, but if they take away 1031 exchange and they raise the, the tax rate on a long-term gain, uh, that would be absolutely punitive. That's, like a, that's a lethal combo. Uh, Going on beyond that, another they're gonna they may tamper with the estate tax, 
and that would have a huge impact on real estate assets as well. Right now, uh, real, what happens, the way things are structured, um, a state at the person, a time a person passes under the current regime, uh, you get a, there's a potential for two types of taxes at that point. There's a potential for estate tax and a potential to have an income tax. So say somebody bequeaths to their heirs um, an asset that they bought for a million dollars. And today it's worth $10 million. And now the next day, the heirs wake up and they're like, okay, we don't want to hold on to this asset anymore. Uh, we want to sell it. Well, what is the gain that they would recognize, a taxable gain that they would recognize on that sale? It's, uh, it isn't the estate, uh, once they decide to sell it, they're taxed uh, huge, isn't it? Like 30 or 40%? So the estate tax, um, if and when it applies, is, is unrelated to a sale. It's just like, oh, you wanted to transfer this asset to your heirs? All right, we're going to tax you. Yeah, and it goes up. It is insane how high those taxes can go. Most estates are currently exempt from that. Under the current regime, um, you got to have, depending if you're single or married, essentially you have to have 12 to, in excess of 12 or $24 million estate. But how about the income tax to the heirs if they sell it? Right. So we know in real estate or other capital gains, your taxable gain is a, a function of taking what's your tax basis in the asset and what you sell it for, and the delta is your taxable gain. So if your tax basis in the asset is a million dollars and you sell it for 10 million, then your taxable gain is nine. Well, what we've got in place right now is something called a step up in basis, a basis step up. So if the, if the say I'll just call them, you know, if the parents, whoever that may be, uh, were to have sold the asset, they would have had a $9 million gain. But when they pass it on, their heirs get a step up in basis, a basis step up to the fear market value. So in the hands of the heirs, the tax basis in the asset jumps up to $10 million. They can turn around the next day and sell that asset for zero taxable gain. Now, what happens in real estate, obviously, where real estate investors are holding on to assets uh, for a long time, those assets tend to appreciate and avoid the gain by holding them forever. Um, and then the heirs can sell it without recognizing any gain. Um, or you can combine the strategies, right? You 1031, 1031, 1031. Um, and that's called, and I'm guessing you've heard drop till you swap till you drop. Yep. Definitely heard that. That's a pretty, pretty popular saying in the, uh, the buy and hold world of commercial real estate. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it may be a little morbid, but it gets said a lot. Bernard, we're going to close out this episode with the hard-hitting questions. These are the questions that we ask every one of our guests. Uh, I always like to start off with the question, what is your why, Bernard? Hey, nobody gave me a warning about this. You're supposed to send me like, here are the questions. No way. Yeah. <laughs> no, you have no, no prep. I like it off the cuff. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm all for that. This is all unscripted. Uh, the why is really to add value to the world. Um, I think people have to look around. Um, the world is, this may sound a little um, kind of black and white and a little stark. Uh, the world has people that are primarily giving and others that are primarily taking. And you can look around in any industry, right? A lot of people may be in different businesses, different service providers. And of course, uh, we're all looking 
to get compensated for our efforts. However, some businesses are primarily there to add value to the world, get compensated in the process. Other businesses are more about, hey, how can I get some more of that in my pocket? And oh, I've got to do something uh, to drive the greenbacks to my pocket. Now, this sounds very subtle, but it drives a huge, huge, huge difference in the way businesses operate. So you can have two businesses, same industry, and kind of you look at the shingle, you won't see a difference, but they are so starkly differentiated. Um, and it, you want to be working with the folks that are looking to give to the world. Um, and so I think that's the why. It's just about adding value to the universe. Bernard, what is uh, the most recent book or another piece of media that you've consumed that's, that's provided significant value to your life? Anti-Fragile by Nassim Nicholas Taleb. Read the book? Familiar with it? I haven't. That? I'm not. And I think that's the first time that that book has been plugged on this show. Okay. Yeah. Check it out. He's got a whole series, series called Incerto. Uh, awesome series. Smart guy. You've probably heard of some of his other books, Fooled by Randomness uh, and uh, Black Swans. So he's definitely, I'm sure you've heard of some of his publications. He put them together as a series. Check it out. Bernard, knowing what you know not now, being in business for as long as you have, uh, what would you tell? What's the number one piece of advice you would give your, your own 21, 22-year-old college graduate self? If There are lots of things, but if we're going to refi refine it to uh, business advice, um, I'd say it's about, I think, and I'll confess certain mistakes that I made along the process, along the way setting up a business. Um, it's a little being a little myopic. You've got to have a really long view. And when you're getting started, you're not capable of having that vision yourself. You may delude yourself thinking, hey, I've got the long view, uh, but only today looking back, I can see how much I wasn't aware of. Um, and I thought I was taking the long view. Uh, so I think it's good to talk to people, uh, good, honest people that have been there, done that, and have seen a lot. Uh, before you even get off the ground. Uh, so you're able to get good context and get everything in place. And I go back to the drawing board a couple of years later and saying, oh, we should have done this a little differently. How does that sound? I, I love it. Uh, experience is going to win the game every day, whether, whether they are bad experiences, good experiences. Uh, experience is really what's going to, uh, to win at the end of the day. Um, you, you don't know what you don't know. That's, that's exactly right. I couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, finally, Bernard, how can our listeners learn a little bit more about you and, uh, and Reshore Financial? A couple of different ways. Um, easiest thing, without even giving people a specific URL that they got to remember and memorize, if you Google Reshore Financial, R-E-S-U-R-E -E, Financial, or Google my name, Bernard Reese, and that's Bernard, R-E-I-S-Z, you will find lots of good stuff. If you find anything that's not good, please let me know. You can send that directly to Bernard at R-E-S-U-R-E -E Financial. And if you find good stuff, let me know as well. Awesome. Bernard Reese, thank you so much for the time today and, and adding your value. We greatly appreciate it. Nick, thanks for having me on. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to leave a rating and a review which will help us introduce the podcast to other listeners. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel.
which will give you access to other episodes you may have missed. Lastly, if you'd like to learn more about investing alongside us, then head on over to valueaddedpodcast.com. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you next week.